If I'm not going to give you all of me, why the hell am I here? David Goggins. I was going to talk today about all kinds of stuff to do with um, TikTok and the teenage brain. Um, I've got a whole series of stuff ready to go, but I just wasn't feeling it because um, Kobe died. And I've been looking at all of these guys trying to deal with their emotions and struggling with it. And then people dealing with the uh, quote unquote complicated history of of Kobe because of um, his uh, his past in relation to um, sexual misconduct, basically. So here's what I think I'm going to do today, because also there's a bunch of people on TikTok who haven't dealt with death before, so they're trying to deal with that too. Um, I'm going to do something on on dealing with people as whole people and where um, bad behavior comes into that and where narcissism and empathy comes into that because people get very polarizing about particularly narcissism or narcissists and empaths they're two totally separate things that should never meet um, and narcissists are monsters and empaths are angels and that's actually not true and a lot of people that you see in positions of great power or fame are narcissistic whether they're full-on narcissists or not is dependent on the individual person but it takes a certain degree of narcissism to accomplish at a high level narcissism is correlated to success this is something people don't want to talk about because it's easier to say all narcissists are a-holes or you know monsters or whatever rather than say well actually a lot of narcissists are really successful and actually a lot of people wouldn't get to the place that they're at unless they were narcissistic so I'm gonna go there um I have another podcast on narcissism which you are welcome to listen to but today I'm going to be talking about um, the difference between narcissists and empaths and also what you need to do to be able to deal with the world as it is rather than wait for it to get perfect before you actually accept anybody. A client of mine is a chap who goes by the name of Samuel Jefferson Andrews. He's a legend. If you're on TikTok, you probably know who he is. He took a narcissism test at my suggestion the other day because I had a feeling he was probably quite a long way up the scale. And um, he was. And this was no shocker to me at all. However, what was a shock was that he then went and publicize this on TikTok and because he's so famous there he's got um I don't know how many two and a half million followers there now something like that plus a load of uh, hundreds of thousands on another account so when he went public with that there uh there were thousands I don't know haven't checked whether it's thousands or tens of thousands probably tens of thousands of comments on there saying you know what's this narcissism test or I took the narcissism test and it turns out I'm a narcissist what do I do and and I kind of <laughs> freaked out because I thought no oh no Sam I wish you'd said you were going to do that because you need to put some kind of uh I, I some kind of warning <laughs> you know <laughs> that's just randomly some 13 year old taking a narcissism test and suddenly deciding they've got narcissistic personality disorder or worse is probably not the best so um yeah that happened so I, w- I want to talk about that because it does actually tie in with what I'm going to be talking about over the next few weeks which is the teenage brain and how it differs from the adult brain but there are some very key differences between the teen brain and the adult brain and one of them is that um, we pretty much all go through a narcissistic stage during teens and sometimes early adulthood so early 20s up to about kind of 22 and then people start generally start growing out of it 
if they're going through it as a phase. Um, it is just so if you don't, if you're thinking, oh, I don't even know what narcissism is, isn't that just being a bit vain? I will break it down for you just in case you haven't heard my other podcast, because otherwise you're going to be scratching your head throughout this one. So here's how it works. You're born. And as far as you're concerned, you and your mother are the same thing because you have been the same thing. So it doesn't occur to you that you have a separate mind. And this is a bit of a problem, not to start with, because it turns out that physically you should still not be born. The reason that humans are born when they're born is because our brains are so big, that our heads are so big, that if we actually stayed inside our mothers long enough to be to go full term, they die. So that's not optimal. So instead, we're born early and our parents have to look after us for the first few years of life or we die. Um, it's not a perfect situation. It's not perfect as a system. We're very evolved in many ways. We haven't quite got that one down. Um, but if you look at the rest of wildlife, if you're struggling to kind of understand this, how am I not fully formed when I'm born? Think of like a giraffe or whatever. A giraffe will give birth and the baby giraffe's up and walking in a few seconds. I mean, it, it maybe minutes, but it's not years of training. It's not a, a lot of animals when they're born, it's only a few days or weeks before they can fend for themselves in the wild. You put a baby in the wild, no fur, no fangs, nothing. It's dead. We can't do that as humans. So what we do instead is we pretend that we are still our mother. So we pretend that our mother and ourselves are one unit and we, we carry on pretending that for a fairly long period of time. And it depends on the individual how long that is. But let's say it really kind of noticeably starts to break apart around about two. So the terrible twos, the, the tantrums and stuff, that's basically you realizing, oh, crap, the world doesn't revolve around me and I'm not part of my mother. I'm a separate entity. And as it turns out, I suck. I can't walk properly, I can't talk properly. When I look around and I compare myself with adults, I have got literally nothing mastered here. I am I am just I'm vulnerable. I'm I can't communicate properly. I can't do the things I want to do. How can I handle this? I'm not ready to be a separate entity, but I have to be a separate entity. I will just scare everyone into loving me or I will charm everyone into loving me or I will push people away until they pull me back and love me um, or I will be super clingy until they love me and these kind of attachment styles can can continue into childhood and even adulthood so if your way of getting significance when you were a toddler with your mother was throwing a giant great big annoying fit throwing things around then um that might show up again when you're at least when you're a teenager you might get through the whole childhood bit okay but when the hormones start to kick in again either going through sort of um early puberty or going through adolescence and your teen years that can come back which is why we see you know we see a lot of kids who are going through um puberty becoming bullies and a lot of teens doing that too um a lot of uh older teens being maybe more sophisticated about it but just being dissing people and mean girl stuff that's all coming from the same place it's it's all coming from a sense of fear it's not coming from strength um and that part of you that generates that emotion is never really older than about two it's two or three years old it's no age really there's bits of it that are different ages but the the core part of it is just a little baby that's terrified and it doesn't grow up and we all have them and there is a part of that process and that process is actually called that it's it's where you build the ego and if you're not into psychology or you're a bit younger and this is a lot of information don't worry too much about it but the ego is basically like your version of yourself so if you if you imagine 
you're a two-year-old and someone says, draw a picture of yourself. It's got to be really accurate as to who you are. And so you get your crayons out and you draw this picture that sort of looks human, but probably doesn't much. Um, it's kind of like a some kind of blob and there's some sticks and then you've put some stuff around that person that represents what's important to that person and then that's you that's essentially the picture of your ego and it gets stuck on the fridge and it stays there for the rest of your life that is your reference point for who you are I think this is a flawed model so I'm coming up with a new one I'm publishing a book on this soon but um, most of the time people have this static view of themselves that they developed when they were tiny that does not serve them anymore um, and it's called it's called the ego and it's very powerful. It's way more powerful than you might think. During the process of building the ego, there's a stage called the narcissistic stage. And we all become narcissists for a little while. So anybody who claims to be an empath and has never been a narcissist, doesn't have a narcissistic bone in their body, is in self-denial. Every one of us has gone through a narcissistic stage we're all narcissists, get over yourself. <laughs> like, we all are on some level. It's a spectrum, okay? Doesn't mean you've got narcissistic personality disorder, doesn't mean you're a sociopath, doesn't mean you're a psychopath, does mean that at some point when you were a toddler, you probably threw something across the room and yelled at someone and you may, may have told your mother that you hated her because everyone does, because that's the process. So what that does is it enables you to to separate into a separate entity from your mother. If it happens successfully, what tends to happen is that little people will push their mother away and then the mother will, depending on what's appropriate, will either give them a little bit of space to have their moment and then pull them close again or will just pull them close again if they're kind of freaking out. What happens if you have a mother who is narcissistic, however, is they haven't properly gone through this process themselves, so they can't handle it. Now, I've worked with narcissistic mothers and I've helped them to handle this, so narcissistic mothers absolutely can handle this, but it's very hard. So if you're a narcissistic mother listening to this, you have my absolute empathy. It sucks for you. It can be super triggering because this is a process you're trying to help another human being through that you haven't actually successfully been through yourself. I I feel you. I'm so sorry that you're having to deal with this. It sucks. But just, you know, thing number one, don't hurt the baby. No matter how triggered you get, just, just don't do that. And that's the, the most important thing. And I know that can be, it, it can be very, very hard not to um, lose it completely when, when you are a narcissistic mother. Um, but you can't, you can't do that because you will destroy the child. You understand that because this is what probably happened to you. So there's some part of you that's kind of a little bit destroyed and you don't want that to go on another generation. So you get the opportunity to break that pattern um, and you can do it. People do it. Mothers do it. So um, but the point is, if you go through that stage as a little person and you push your mother away and she is mortally wounded by that, which can happen with narcissistic mums, if you reject her and she's just seeing you as an extension of herself, she doesn't want to be rejected. So even though it's perfectly natural and it is a healthy part of mental development to reject your mother at that age narcissistic mothers some narcissistic mothers can be amazing through the first couple of years actually because they have this great close bond with a little person and they and they love them this idea that narcissists don't feel love is not true there are plenty of people it's a big spectrum at one end they don't but there's tons of mothers who are along this spectrum a little bit who can absolutely love their kids. They just struggle with some of the nuances of how to teach unconditional love or how to love unconditionally. It's hard. So um, what can happen is the, the kid pushes them away. They take it very personally because they finally found someone who loves them constantly and needs them. And this person's like, right, I'm done with you now. <laughs> and they push them away. That's hard. I mean, that's hard for any mother. That's hard for any parent. 
that point where the person that you created says, oh, by the way, I'm a separate individual and I don't need you. Even if you know intellectually that's not true of a toddler, the fact that they're giving you that impression is that can be really terrifying for parents, even if they're not narcissists, even if they're empaths, it can be terrifying. Um, but this can happen, and if if maybe that happened when you were a kid, that you threw a bit of a fit and you pushed your mum away, and she couldn't handle that rejection, and she hit you, or she iced you out. She was like, well, right, you don't need me, fine, screw you. Or she um, isolated you, put you in the corner and left you there until you were begging for her to come back. That's the beginning of a kind of abusive cycle that can play out in your life in other ways. It actually only needs to happen once for that to kick off something not pleasant psychologically. But quite often these things are patterns and they happen a lot. So if that happened to you, I'm sorry, first of all, that sucks. Um, but it doesn't, it's not irreparable damage. You can, you can work on that. You can fix that. But what will tend to happen is, um, when that happens, the ego doesn't form fully. So this set, this picture that you've drawn of yourself doesn't get completed. It's kind of fragmented and I kind of like to think of the ego sometimes as like a kinder egg. <laughs> I don't know. I know in America you're not allowed to have kinder eggs, but kinder eggs, um, anyone in Europe will know, kinder eggs are these chocolate eggs and you open them up and there's a little, uh, what would you call it inside? It's like a little pod, an, a plastic pod thing, and you open that up and there's all the bits that are necessary to build some kind of toy. Your ego, if it works properly... It has all of the parts inside and they're all kind of put together and it's like ready built. You've built it. You did it when you were a toddler and you put it back in the pod and then you shut it up and that's your ego and it, it works. If it doesn't, if you don't manage to do that properly because the people closest to you aren't there for you in the way that you need them to be during that phase. What you can end up with is this pod thing isn't closed. <laughs> the bits are just all over the place and um, it's a mess. And you, you've got a picture of what this kinder toy thing is supposed to look like. And so you know what it would look like if it was perfect. And so that's what you can put at the, at the front. You know, that's what you show everyone. Hey, everyone, look at this picture. This is who I really am. But they don't realize that behind the scenes, none of this stuff is put together. It's all fragmented. And this is what, um, hang on, I'm going to have a little bit of coffee. This is what happens with narcissists, is what's on the surface is perfect. So they can they can strive for excellence, for perfection, for like being the most famous or the most attractive or the most fit or the most intelligent or the most, they're always trying to be the most something or even sometimes the most spiritual or even sometimes, and this is, this is always a fun one, the most humble. It's, it, it's, it's like, they just have to be the most. Okay. They are the most. And you see them and you think, wow, they're amazing. They're like superhuman. How could I ever be like that? They're just, I'm flawed, but they're just perfect. What you don't see is behind that, there's a whole load of stuff that never got integrated, didn't get put together. So what what happens is, and, and I'm not saying this is true of anyone who took that test that Sam put up and they got, they scored high on narcissism because, um, I'm going to get to that in a second. This is a phase that people go through. But if it's entrenched, if it carries on into your 20s and beyond, this is what's happening, is, is stuff's on the surface and stuff behind it's kind of broken. So um, the surface self is, is epic and amazing and super famous and everyone loves it. And then the, the real self behind that is in pieces 
and it's it's usually fragmented. It can be fragmented into e- almost like alter egos, the different aspects of um, someone. So, for instance, now I'm not saying I can't diagnose. I'm not a therapist, but it's just a very obvious example. Someone like uh, Gary Gary V. Now, Gary V is both Gary Vaynerchuk and Gary V, and those two people are not the same. Gary Vaynerchuk runs a company that helps to get incrementally better Facebook ad results and other social media marketing and um, traditional advertising results for companies like Shell Oil and Pepsi, okay? That's what his job is. That's what actually he gets paid for the most. And then he has a whole team of people who work for him, all working on advertising campaigns and helping um, companies that you probably wouldn't associate Gary V with to make more money. So, for instance, one of the companies that he helped, he was they were working on um mapping out a virus the spread of a virus so that they could sell lozenges to people who might be scared about getting ill that's the kind of thing they they do gary v however apparently hangs out at lemonade stands and flips like beanie babies for a couple of dollars profit at the weekends and um that he thinks everyone should just leave college or, um, you know, just... He, he's not consistent. <laughs> he, in Gary V is not consistent. I've mapped him out. He's not a consistent dude. So he'll say, um, everybody's got to hustle. You have to hustle all the time. And he famously said, he said to somebody, how much time did you take off this weekend? And they said, oh, well, you know, I took off whatever it was, half of Saturday. And he said, you just took off more time than I took off in my entire 20s. So his old message used to be hustle, hustle hard, hustle constantly, never stop hustling. Then he decided he was going to brand himself as an empath of some kind. And this is what I'm talking about with narcissists. I'm an empath now. I'm the best empath. I'm going to put empathy. Empathy is going to be the brand of my wine brand like that's going to be an actual brand I'm going to brand it so um then he became all about well you'd have to do anything just don't do it dude like just chill just just leave college and just don't do anything like don't worry about it you're only 19 you're only 29 you're only 39 (laughs) don't worry about it everything's going to be fine which um kind of white privilege kind of approach because other people sort of need to pay bills and things so not everyone can just sit on their ass for 20 30 years contemplating the nature of things okay so these are the two versions of him they're very different one of them is, is a highly analytical business person with staff who rely on him to be able to feed their kids and the other one is like, hey, I don't give a crap about anything. And I get up on stage and people give me money for just swearing at the audience. Two totally different people. Something there is not integrated. Something's not integrated there. Because on the surface, he's putting out, I'm an empath. Here, look, look at the branding. Look at the outside, the outside. <laughs> the outside says empathy. So I'm empathic. But then he'll also say, I don't give a shit what anybody says about me. I don't care what anyone thinks about me. I don't give an F about you. I don't care about anyone. That doesn't sound like an empath. So there's some kind of mixed branding going on there. But narcissists are very, um, very compelling. They're very good at leading a lot of people along a path of, of kind of following their particular brand. Um, and people don't question them. I question him. He kind of likes it when I question him sometimes. I get likes and things. It's nice. But um, that was my little mini mini uh, narcissist speaking just then, by the way. But but basically, that's not completely... It's not completely integrated when that happens. But you're not being super conscious about it on the, on the surface. So, for instance... Um, I mean, Sam did something similar to this recently, actually. He set up, he's got 
one TikTok account, which is more put together and filters and blah, blah, blah. And then he's got this other account, which is his, um, it's like Finster, his Fickfock, his fake TikTok, which is kind of more his shadow self. It's more his kind of like rough and ready and I'm just going to say whatever I want to say self. And there's some interplay between the two of them, but he's very conscious and open and basically tells people this stuff. Um, so it's not problematic. With with some people, when they have these separate selves, it's a little bit more problematic because you don't really know what you're getting. And I would say sometimes with Gary Vee, you don't really, or Gary Vaynerchuk, you don't really know who what you're getting. It seems nice, but it's I don't know. There's just some inconsistencies and stuff there. And I like the dude. I'm not I'm not hating on him. Um, I just urge you to do your own research like go and look at who Gary Vaynerchuk is then go and look at who Gary V is and then look at his content historically so look at it over time and pick out the inconsistencies or even look at it over a week and pick out the inconsistencies you don't have to look very far and <laughs> they come up a lot somebody like um Grant Cardone however Grant Cardone is is clearly a narcissist. I don't think he'd even care if I said that. Um, but he's really open about it. He doesn't use the word because it's just not that's not what he uses. But he he'll say, you know, he's an addict. He's a, he's just become addicted to success, and he doesn't care about being sort of soft with anyone. And he just wants what he wants um and he's very openly narcissistic he doesn't try and hide any of it he wouldn't brand anything empathy to try and hide that side of him he's proud of it um but if you look into him a little bit more you start to see empathy you start to see how he cares about his staff um how he cares about uh raising money for people, how he cares about helping people to do better for themselves, how many of his books about becoming a millionaire he's given away. And um, I wrote the marketing copy for that book, so I know it's lots. Um, it was kind of half a million. I think it's, it's probably a million now. But if you go to themillionairebook.com, all of that copy there, um, all the writing of how Grant got to that. I wrote that. That's me. That's my voice. But it's um, as Grant, because guess what? Grant's not an idiot. He is building a gigantic organization. So sometimes he outsources stuff. And uh, that was a piece that he outsourced to me. And it's converted really well. I'm very impressed. Um, but that's but he, he has a very empathetic or empathic side to him that he doesn't really share that it's there. But if you look, you can see it. If you look closely, you can see it. So Gary V hides the side of himself that's narcissistic because he doesn't want you to know about it. And he brands everything as empath as being empathy, which is an interesting approach, but it's not completely consistent. Someone like Tony Robbins has both narcissism and empathy. You have to be narcissistic to get up in front of thousands of people and beat your chest and say you're king of the world, essentially. But there's no way you can say the guy doesn't have empathy because how much has he done to help other people and how much has he done to you know look, look into how many people he fed, he has fed over his career? Because something really traumatizing happened to him when he was a child and he chose to make it into a positive experience and use that experience to help millions of other people. And this is what I'm talking about when you're looking at someone like Kobe and, and Tony Robbins is a good example, actually, because he um, he's had some sort of allegations of improper conduct and he's apologized for those. And what tends to happen when this happens with guys is that Twitter and other places will just cancel them. And I think you need to think twice before you cancel people because people are not perfect and people can always learn. And this comes from this idea of a fixed mindset and a, um, and a growth mindset. A fixed mindset will tell you nobody can change 
and people need to be cancelled if they do anything wrong. But a growth mindset understands that anyone can, can change at any time. And I tend to have a growth mindset because I've had that experience. I had a car crash when I was 11. I, I wiped out my language areas. My parents were told I wouldn't survive the crash. Then my brother was told I had a one in two million chance of surviving after the first night in a coma. And then um, I was told that I would never have, you know, never be able to speak or read or write at the same level as my peers. And this was just presented to me as gospel truth and that I'd reached the age where the brain stops growing and so I was done. Fortunately, I decided they were all full of crap and I worked on my brain and I taught myself to read and write because they didn't give me speech therapy because I was too badly damaged so they didn't think it would work. So I just taught myself. I taught myself to read and write and speak and um I now have a degree in reading, writing and speaking called an English degree. Um, Upper second, I missed out on getting a first by a couple of points. I mean, it's a good degree. And I'm also a best-selling author and I was a magazine columnist for six years. So it's balls, basically, when people tell you, well, our knowledge of the brain is that you now can't change. That was accurate information from what they knew back then. But it turns out there's this thing called neuroplasticity, which they discovered years later that they didn't know about back then. But I knew about it on an innate level. And at the moment, there's a big trend to go around and say, narcissists are fixed in stone and they never change. You cannot heal if you're a narcissist. And I can't help but remember when I was told, you will never be able to speak again. And here I am speaking to you. So that's bullshit. And also speaking to you without notes, this is all coming off the top of my head, which is a pretty high level thing to do. So I want you to think in terms of how could you change? Like what is there about you or about people that you're dealing with you could change? And in a second, I'm going to talk about the difference between narcissists and empaths. Narcissists and empaths are two sides of the same metaphor. They typically have both been through that experience during usually the narcissistic phase of not getting their needs met by a parent or somebody who has taken care of them and sort of falling apart and having to deal with that. But they approach it in different ways. So the truth of it is not narcissists and monsters and empaths are angels. It is you need to handle both narcissists and empaths with care. But empaths are handled with care like a precious flower and narcissists are handled with care like an explosive device. That's the difference. But they're both ultimately wounded in the same way. And this can be hard to hear if you're an empath and you've been deriving your entire sense of self from the fact that everyone tells you you're a complete angel because when you took that test, you only got like 10 points. Um, I got eight points on that test, by the way, and (laughs) literally seven of those points were in leadership and authority because... I've helped enough people and got enough results that I can look back at my history and go, well, yeah, I do rock at this because evidence. Yeah, I do rock at that because evidence. But all the rest of it, most of it, I scored zero on. So vanity and all the other bits of narcissism. I don't, I just don't register on the narcissism scale. I am like pure bunny on everything other than I can kick your ass and I can get you results and I know this because I have. <laughs> and so that's always going to be a high score. Everything else, very, very low. Um, but to my fellow empaths, just so you know, there is a part of you that's narcissistic. We'll get on to that in a second. To 
the narcissists listening to this or people who scored highly on the test, I'm going to put actually in the details to this podcast, the test that Sam took. And um, it seems like a fairly good test. It's not diagnostic. It doesn't diagnose you as having NPD or anything else. You need to go to a therapist if you want to get diagnosed with anything. But it will give you an idea of where you are along that spectrum. So say, for example, you're a teenager. Let's say you're 18. So I'd have to deal with giving mental health advice to kids. You're an 18-year-old and your parents are just telling you you're completely a nightmare like you're you're overreacting and you're too full of yourself and you're arrogant and you're this and you're that and you don't know whether that's true or not if you take this test it will tell you and that can be helpful you have to tell anyone what result you got but it can be helpful to go oh compared to the rest of the population i'm actually like super vain and pretty controlling and Machiavellian, and actually my parents are probably right about some of this stuff. I'm not going to tell them that, but it's probably good to know. Um, so yeah, that's that's what it's useful for, is just getting a sense of where you are. And if you get a ridiculously high grade, so if you get something like um, celebrities score up to kind of 18 on this test... And the normal range is, I think, 12 to 15. So I got eight. So I need to work on my narcissism. I actually need to learn something from my narcissistic friends. <laughs> I need I need to get out there a bit more and be more confident. But um, generally, you're going to score between 12 and 15. If you are a teenager, I would suggest it's going to be a bit higher than that, just generally. Because this little narcissistic phase I told you about in toddlerhood has a little renaissance when you're a teenager. Yay! <laughs> so these these things that have not been resolved come back and you have to deal with them again. So if that's happening, you may score higher than that. So the next range is between 18 and 20, I think. And that is where celebrities usually hang out. So I think celebrities and TikTok famous people, for the most part, you're going to be around about that top level for um, narcissism before it starts to get potentially problematic. 20 plus is where you would expect people with narcissistic personality disorder to score. Important point, this is not diagnostic, which means if someone who had already been diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder took this test it would be stunning if they scored less than 20 however if you score more than 20 it doesn't mean you have npd doesn't work the same both ways so don't freak out if you get more than 20 even if you get 30 or more it's fine it's um i mean it might not be fine like check with the therapist check with a doctor if it's a, an ongoing problem. But if you have kind of a little spike when you're feeling a bit full of yourself, I, I don't think the world's going to suffer badly. It just means you're a teenager or in your early 20s. And it may mean also that you're male. Generally, boys score higher um, at this point. So boys and men tend to score higher. Although both or all genders actually well, I don't know. I can't say all genders because there's not enough stat statistical data yet. But uh, the two traditional genders, so male and female, tend to score similarly for vanity during teen years. So that one might be high for both. But the other ones, the other aspects of narcissism, tend to uh, men tend to score higher than women. So you can take that test if you want to. Uh, if you are a child, check with someone you trust who is in a position of authority first. Preferably a parent, but if your parent's like a major narcissist, uh, maybe a doctor, something like that. Uh, I don't, I'm not, this isn't advice for kids. I'm not advising kids. Um, but if you are 18 plus and you want to take this just to see where you're at, it, it might be an idea to take it and then maybe take it every month or so and see, kind of plot out your progress. See if it's getting 
if you're getting more narcissistic or if you're getting less narcissistic. And if you're getting more narcissistic continually, I would highly recommend getting therapy to get that under control while you're still young, because you can. People will tell you you can't, but you absolutely can have seen it happen. So it, it is going to take some kind of intervention. Um, your doctor or therapist, something like that, can help you because you, ne- you need to get that under your own control so that you don't end up having uncontrollable rages and hurting other people or yourself. So this, this initial traumatic experience that tends to happen during young childhood, it can happen to anyone and it doesn't even have to be that dramatic. Sometimes it can be a combination of things too. Sometimes it might be that your parents are actually lovely, um, but they, let's say you've got rich parents and they they sort of overindulge you. They, they want to provide for you. So they give you everything you could possibly want and they want to give you positive reinforcement and affirmation. So they tell you everything is possible for you and you're special and you're not like all the other kids and you're going to amount to something better than everyone else and you're a prince or a princess or whatever. Like they do all that stuff. But when you actually need to need them to deal with your, essentially your shadow self so the side of you that's not bright and shiny and you need to go to them with problems they they turn you away or they say no just just you know put a smiley face on it or don't let people see you down or they don't they don't deal with you very well or they just kind of isolate you or they say well you know go go and kick a ball about for a bit until you feel better and whatever like this kind of stuff happens in England then um that's that can do it that can lead to narcissism it doesn't have to be being beaten or you know massively abused it could just be not having your emotional needs met but having your external needs met can create narcissism so you've got all the possible adulation you could want but you can't share your brokenness that's just not allowed you can be applauded for being great but no one's going to pay any attention to the parts of you that hurt. Um, with an empath, just how to put this, when when you're in that state as a toddler, let's assume it happens then, because it can happen later, but let's just assume, because I think it most commonly would happen at this point. When you're in a situation where you really need your mum and she's not there for you, or whoever it is, um, or they are—they respond in a in a way that is blank or cold or not loving, or you're led to believe that you have to act in a certain way in order to be loved. That causes trauma for little people, and a narcissist will tend to go into with the with what's commonly called the fight or flight response there's lots of other aspects to that there's um depending on what model you look at there's there's a uh, friend and flee and flop and uh, fawn and all kinds of other things but if you're in that situation as a narcissist the likelihood is you're not a narcissist as a toddler, but in that stage, the the likelihood is that you would have kicked off. <laughs> you would have been extroverted about your response. So aggressive, angry, um, and pushed back and demanded what you wanted. And then that may have led to to you experiencing aggression or it may have led to you being isolated. And so narcissists and other people, you know, sociopaths and psychopaths can sometimes go into themselves and make it all about themselves because that's the only way they think they're going to be taken care of. Like if they're, if they're not perfect, they're going to be kicked out or isolated or attacked and so either they attack 
back or they attack first, which is what bullying's about, um, and mocking people and all of that stuff, or they they self-isolate and they they feel like nobody else understands them and and they start to think for themselves that the only way I'm going to get my needs met is if I take care of all my needs and I stop caring what anybody else thinks. Um, so that's where that comes from. And then with, with an empath, what they will do typically is instead of a narcissist will point to things outside themselves that are wrong, an empath will tend to do the opposite. So they'll think, oh no, I got pushed away because I did something wrong. What did I do wrong? How do I make this person happy? This person's not happy. How do I make this person happy so that I don't get rejected again? What is, what's, how can I feel into what they're feeling? So little baby empaths become hypersensitive individuals so that they can sense what's really happening it makes you kind of psychic, honestly. You can sense, you can see what's being said on the surface and then you can sense what's going on underneath. This is part of the reason why I am I am such a narco snack, or I have been in my life, is because when I meet narcissists, I'm like, oh, red flags, pretty. I don't, where a lot of people are kind of scared of narcissists, for me, I'm so used to feeling into who they are underneath most narcissists underneath all of that stuff, the aggression, the red flags, all of that, the little person they are inside has got guards all around it <laughs> or a big dragon protecting it is so sweet and pure and lovely. And that's actually why why they're so charming because people, they, they'll take a little bit of that, they'll risk a little bit of that and they'll put that on the surface and that's what you kind of fall for is this really sweet, adorable person. But it's not completely a lie. People say, oh no, they're lying. No, it's not. That's really part of them. But it's the part of them they're trying to protect by being an a-hole. It's very vulnerable. It's a very sweet little part of them that didn't get its needs met. And the way that it's trying to get its needs met is by being aggressive or by being manipulative or by seeing everybody as someone that that person can use so so basically objectifying everyone turning everyone into objects long term it's very very painful to be a narcissist um, if it gets entrenched and you do that over the long term you can never really feel love you never really feel loved either you start to look at the people who love you and think what manipulation did I pull to get that person to love me I wonder how long it is until that wears off. It's It becomes very mechanical and it's very sad. Um, so I don't in any way kind of, um, I don't feel envious of narcissists because the long-term internal situation for narcissists isn't great if they don't sort themselves out in their 20s. But empaths, empaths I think actually come out of the deal better Generally, people say the opposite. Narcissists get everything. Empaths are kind of these poor, downtrodden victims. No, empaths are psychic. <laughs> empaths, empaths can walk into a room and know um, ev everyone is putting on, like they can see the front that everyone's putting on. Then they can read the backstory. Then they can read the unwritten backstory between the people in the room that people don't realize people have relationships. Like you can just read micro expressions. You can you can read everything. You can read energy. People get really uh, strong spiritual experiences as empaths. So I I don't feel bad that I'm an empath. It's kind of epic. I can do all kinds of crap that other people can't do. Um, but that that didn't come to me without pain. I mean, that came to me because some stuff went wrong and I went through some trauma. Um, but I'm handled with care like a flower and a narcissist is handled with care like a bomb. And within me, there is narcissistic injury because I went through trauma. And within narcissist there's narcissistic injury but 
there's this other thing that's kind of empath injury that nobody talks about. I don't even know if anybody's ever said it. But it's like narcissists. It's like yin-yang. Narcissists are potentially also wounded empaths. The reason that narcissists and empaths are drawn to each other a lot, or the reason that generally speaking, when you see a narcissist, they have some kind of a... They're they're in some kind of a relationship or friendship with someone who is an empath is because that person has everything the narcissist needs and doesn't have. So in in the core of a narcissist, there is um, there's kind of an empty space where unconditional love should be. And empaths are just like love machines. (laughs) We're just we'll love anyone doesn't matter what you did in the past we'll forgive you so narcissists seem really confident but they're actually scared to feel that stuff and then empaths seem really lacking in confidence on the surface but they're actually really confident in their ability to understand other people and feel other people's feelings We literally feel other people's feelings. You don't even have to ask someone's feelings because you feel them in your own body if you're an empath. For a lot of us, we we feel everything. I mean, there's there's a a meme that I saw on on Twitter, which is, I've got 99 problems, but 98 of them belong to other people. A lot of being an empath is picking through all the feelings that you have and working out which belong to you. Um, And the path of a narcissist is more, what do I want and how do I get there? So they're two different modes of operation, but they're all coming. They're they're coming from the same place. They're coming from the same place. So narcissists and empaths can be very valuable to each other, but also empaths can be completely destroyed by narcissists. So you do have to, um, sorry, my my chair's creaky. You do have to be aware if you're an empath that you're likely to be drawn towards narcissists um, in relationships and also to help them, but that you don't want to get into codependency with them. So you, you need to be able to learn when to step back and let someone screw up, even though you can see what's going to happen. It's not your place to fix everybody so you do have to know when to step back and take care of yourself and then with narcissists narcissists can benefit so much from being around empaths but they do need to know when to step back and be kind and understand okay if I have an empathic friend the stuff that I find pant-wettingly hysterical might hurt them (laughs) so sometimes even if I can push things a little bit Every now and then I need to lay off and understand this person has a different operating system than me and they are really sensitive and I don't get it because I've like numbed a lot of that stuff out. So I need to kind of make some space for them so that they can feel their stuff. And how this relates to Kobe and other people who have have backgrounds in which they were aggressive or over-assertive or were more looking for their own needs to be met than thinking about whether somebody, whether they were stepping over somebody else's boundaries, which is basically what always happens with any kind of um, sexual abuse or any kind of abuse is you're stepping over someone else's boundaries without thinking about those boundaries because that gets you to where you want to go to. People can recover from that people can have experiences like being arrested for instance where they go oh my god I'm gonna lose everything by just being about me I need to work on myself and they can work on themselves and they can become great people and it doesn't it doesn't take anything away from the actual abuse abuse is always wrong but abusers are not always wrong they're wrong in the area of the abuse that does not make them disposable I don't think we should be cancelling people 
I think we should be counseling people. I think we should be helping people to become better, to understand when they've done things that they shouldn't have done, to make reparation, to be forgiven, to forgive themselves, and to move on and become better, do better, and help other people not to make the same mistakes. I think that is very valuable. And there are a lot of traits within narcissistic people that are hugely valuable to society. At the lower lower end of narcissism, narcissists make great entertainers. They, They light up our worlds. They are fun. They are the main characters in all the novels that you like. (laughs) All superheroes are narcissists. Like they are vibrant, bright, high-achieving, just badasses. They're awesome, okay? On on the on the friendly, friendly narcissists. Narcissists with a small end, like little narcissists, baby narcissists. They're they're wonderful people and they get shit done. Um at the 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 bad end of the scale, yeah, they show up in criminality a lot. But some of those people are not criminals. Some of those people are surgeons whose hands aren't shaking because they care about the surgery being effective they're not that bothered about whether or not someone dies except in relation to their success as a surgeon very difficult to understand if you're not a psychopath but the point is the outcome is the same like the outcome is someone doesn't die and we need people who can do that we need you know people who are very narcissistic in the military to be able to get through some of the stuff that has to be done by some of the military, some people in the military to save people without them getting PTSD. So it's a complicated thing. It's very complicated. But the point is, we, we all have kind of an inner narcissist and an inner empath. And we have shadowy sides to ourselves and we have bright sides to ourselves. We need to integrate them. We need to understand them. And we need to forgive ourselves for the less good bits and move forward and develop more, really focus on personal development. Um, And also learn to forgive people who've done bad things to us. You don't have to forgive the actual action. It's not the abuse that you're forgiving. It's the person. Shaming everybody is not good. Brene Brown does a lot on this. uh, Blame is a good thing apportioning the blame and making sure that there's justice that's great blame is i did this bad thing and i'm going to make up for it you know if you're blamed for something or you feel self-blame for something that's not a bad thing but shame is i am a bad person and i think there are very few bad people on the planet maybe there are a few who choose that but there are very few um the majority of people are good and they're just complicated and they they have different aspects to their personality which are um some are good and some are bad but as a whole most people are good and the chances are if you're listening to this right now that includes you so whatever it is that you're dealing with at the moment maybe you've been just a wonderful a balanced individual about it maybe you've been a nasty little animal just find a way to make reparation for anything you've done wrong and to forgive yourself and move forward because as Oprah says when you know better you will do better and actually I think she got that from someone else I can't remember who it was but you're welcome to leave it in the comments or messages or whatever but um when you know better you'll do better so just keep focusing on learning to do better and on trying to feel into other people's experience more so that you don't just have this need to cancel everyone Um, because that's just not what it's about you wouldn't want to be cancelled so see if there's a way that you can avoid cancelling other people without letting them off the hook about the things they've done wrong so it's okay to say this action you took is wrong but you need to think very, very, very long and hard before you say you are wrong as a human being. Because we, as far as I'm concerned, we're all created equal. We are all valid. We are all valuable. 
You don't know what someone's backstory is. You don't know what they went through to give them the boundaries that they do or don't have. You don't know what they witness that makes them think that a certain behavior is actually okay when it's not. So don't be too quick to judge other people or yourself. notice the standard get your ducks in a row advice doesn't apply when you're trying to get your flying unicorns into formation me too and that is why i have created this podcast where i am interviewing exceptional people and also sharing with you things that i've learned from exceptional people about how to live not just great lives but kind of weird, eccentric, idiosyncratic, authentic lives. So if you're the kind of person who's not really a kind of copy and paste, just be the same as everyone else type of individual, then this is the podcast for you. And just please make sure that you share it, leave me messages, interact with it so I can get the best people on here to help you and inspire you to be the best you that you can be. Thank you.